3: This is The Guardian.
1: Hi, Australian politics listeners. It's Jane Lee here. I want to tell you about a special series we're making during the election campaign. Every weekday at 4pm, I'll be interviewing Catherine Murphy or one of our other political reporters in the Canberra Bureau to analyse the key issues of the day. It's called Campaign Catch-Up, and you can hear it on the Full Story feed. Just search for Full Story wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'm going to play you the first episode of Campaign Catch-Up. It'll bring you up to date on the key moments from the first two days of the election campaign.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. Earlier today, I visited His Excellency, the Governor-General, and advised him uh, to call an election for the House of Representatives and half of the Senate on May 21. And he accepted my advice.
1: After months of speculation, the Prime Minister finally called the election.
0: I love this country, and I love Australians, and I know Australians have been through a very tough time.
1: I'm Jane Lee, and this is The Campaign Catch-Up, a new podcast from Guardian Australia. Every afternoon until polling day, I'll be here telling you everything you need to know about the 2022 federal election. Here's how the first two days have played out.
0: Well, this election is a choice between the proven economic and financial management of my government that has taken us through the worst economic crisis since the Second World War and a Labor opposition that is unproven, untested and unknown. Both Scott
1: Morrison and Labor leader Anthony Albanese spent their first full day on the campaign trail chasing votes in marginal seats they're hoping to flip. The Prime Minister travelled to Nowra on the New South Wales south coast to support the Liberal candidate for Gilmore, Andrew Constance. But he was dogged by key criticisms of his leadership. Constance famously said that Morrison deserved the hostile reception he received from locals during the Black Summer bushfires in 2019.
0: And do you believe that seeing as you were a Liberal speaking out at that time, that that carried weight given it started a decline in the trust and faith of people in the Prime Minister... Mate, um the community crying out for some positive stuff here, right? We, we can't reverse history here.
1: Morrison also spent much of the day defending his education minister, Alan Tudge, who stepped down from duties after his affair with his former staffer was revealed. If he didn't do anything wrong, why is she getting half a million bucks? And if uh, he did, why is he still in Canada? Morrison confirmed that Tudge would continue to have a place in his cabinet if the coalition wins the election, despite a report from News Corp that the Department of Finance is negotiating a more than $500,000 payment to the staffer.
0: First of all, I can't confirm that report and i'm not aware of anyone who else who can i mean that's a private matter between uh, Ms. miller and the department of finance so that's...
1: meanwhile in tasmania
0: wherever i go people know me grew up in public
3: housing uh, no one gave me a leg up in life i'm an example i think of uh, what australians want for their kids is what my mum wanted for me
1: Labor leader Anthony Albanese was in Launceston, in the seat of Bass, which the Liberal Party holds by just 0.4. Do you
3: know the official cash rate off the top of your head? Oh look, we, we can do the old uh, old Q and A stuff over fifty but different do you know it? over over 50, 50 different figures.
1: While there, the Labor leader was asked questions on the rising cost of living, a key issue for voters in this
3: election. What's the national unemployment rate? National unemployment rate at the moment is, uh, I think it's 5.4, sorry, Mm. I'm not sure what it is.
1: And later apologised.
3: Earlier today I made a mistake. I'm human. But when I make a mistake, I'll fess up to it and I'll set about correcting that mistake. I won't blame someone else, I'll accept responsibility. That's what leaders do.
1: Today, I'll be speaking with our political editor, Catherine Murphy, on what these first two days tell us and what the next six weeks are going to look like. It's Monday, the 11th of April. Hey, Murph, how are you going? Hi, Jane. I'm alive. How about you? Yeah, just just about. (laughs) I want to ask you, how have both Labor and the coalition framed the contest that's between them for the next six weeks? Uh,
2: Basically, Scott Morrison is framing his pitch to voters as better the devil you know. He's saying, uh, look, I know you don't love me, but I've done this stuff. I've been good on the pandemic. The country is poised for economic recovery. And if you stick with me, I will finish the job I started. Uh, Anthony Albanese is sort of slightly twofold. He's saying we are ready to govern. We're ready. It's time. That's sort of the first leg. And the second leg is, dear God, not three more years of this. I mean, he's saying it more politely than that, but that's basically the bottom line. He's saying, look, they've been a terrible government. You can't possibly give them another go.
1: I mean, you and your team are obviously watching all of these media appearances very closely, as are the staff of, of both leaders. Um, how How would you say, what's your assessment, Murph? How would you say the two leaders have performed on day two of the campaign?
2: The sort of weaknesses of both were on display in the opening sorties, Morrison just can't quite unshackle himself from uh, the inconveniences of his past. And again, if we sort of put ourselves in the minds of voters at the moment, the voters who are, have had enough of Morrison – they're in that place because of the record, because of things like Andrew Constance saying to Scott Morrison, y- "You're terrible" during the the bushfires, because of, uh, I guess the the end point of the Me Too reckoning in Parliament, which is sort of what the Tudge issue plays back into. So the Prime Minister is, in terms of his messaging. He's relentless, he's disciplined, he's treating the campaign like he's got thirty seconds to get his key points up, and that's that will that is how he campaigns and that is how he will campaign for the next six weeks. Then Albanese there's this sort of tendency, I guess, on the part of Labour leaders to treat election campaigns like they're conversations with the Australian people. Like you can wander around the country to all of these seats, treat reporters and the voters like they're grown-ups and have a conversation that isn't sort of reductionist or gotcha or hung up on trivialities like, you know, what's the price of a donkey ride at the local fete or, you know, whatever the sort of gotcha question is of the day. The problem for Anthony Albanese is that campaigns are not a conversation. That's not how they roll. They're, they're, they're big message machine apparatuses, right? And there's a conversation that happens with the voters who decide the outcome of elections and they are they are disengaged, by and large, and low information. So Anthony, the weakness, I guess, of Anthony Albanese's uh, first day on the hustings was this tendency to just assume that this is a conversation. This is not a conversation. This is literally a 30-second battle every day that someone wins and someone loses. And, and that's just about the Labor campaign, I guess, getting battle ready for what's going to play out uh,
1: on the hustings over the next six weeks. Murph, we're going to hear much more from both major parties during this campaign, but since the last election in 2019, we've also had far more prominent independent candidates enter the political ring. How could they influence the outcome of the election this time around? We saw this dynamic in, uh, in 2019
2: as well. We did see the rise of uh, of independence uh, and the success of independence in some of the contests around the country, Zali Stegel being the obvious case in point, that sort of teal independence movement is much larger and much well organised than it was in the 2019 contest. And it's not only the teal independence, there are micro parties. In northern Tasmania, uh, Jackie Lambie is a massive phenomenon in the northwest. So, this sort of weariness and disaffection after three hard years, which is sort of being you know, refracted through politics in a way. This sort of sense of oh God, really? You know, it's, has <laughs> it got to be like this? Uh, so, in that environment, independence and micro parties become attractive to disaffected voters. So we're going to spend a lot of time I think over the next 6 weeks looking at that main head-to-head contest between Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese. That's that will take the lion's share of attention. But look, it's possible this this election is close enough for those people who were just flagging there the independents and the micro parties to become kingmakers in a new parliament in either determining the next government of the country directly in a, in a minority government negotiation or indirectly by where their preferences end up going, to which party they end up going to. In, uh, the problem Anthony Albanese's got as the, as the campaign opens is that he hasn't converted the disaffection to his own column as yet. The national opinion polls show that Anthony Albanese is ahead, right? But the national opinion polls are exactly that. They're a snapshot of national sentiment. They're not a barometer of what is going on in the 15 or so marginal seats that will determine the outcome of the next election. There, Albanese has got to move disaffection with Morrison into the Labour column. And that's and he hasn't achieved that at the opening of the campaign. And so that again sort of creates more pressure on the Labour leader to not fluff opportunities. to to be very clear about his pitch for the day, both positive and negative, and and set about landing it.
1: Thanks so much, Murph. We'll see you next time. Absolutely. My pleasure, Jane. That's your Campaign Catch-Up for today. We'll be back tomorrow at 4pm. You can listen to more episodes of Campaign Catch-Up every weekday on the Full Story podcast feed. Just search for Full Story wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Joe Coning and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. See you tomorrow.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts?